Well, as part of our series here throughout the holidays and studying the Bible, we've been talking about blessings at home. And the premise is that the spiritual life that we have has to live at our home. It can't just live here in a building like this. Um, and in fact, if the, if the only real practice of faith that we have is in formal religious environments, then we don't actually have a practice of faith. We just have a performance that we go to, and we're either a part of or we witness. But for this to be personal, it has to touch every aspect of our lives. And so when we think about it, we could have said blessings at church or blessings at work or blessings at school, um, and that would be the case, right? God, God blesses us with wisdom and direction in every category of life. But I've come to believe that the, the place where it's the hardest work to live the life of Jesus is at home. Now, you can think about it right now. We're all kind of on our best behavior. Um, I don't see anyone, well, maybe, but I don't see anyone doing anything terrible right now. And, and I would say that this is kind of the easiest time to basically do the right thing. But when you get in your car, it gets a little bit harder. And when you walk in your front door, it probably gets a lot harder. Because when you walk in your front door, you're faced with all sorts of options. And the more, the more people that live with you, the more complicated that becomes. Because now there are people around you to argue with, to yell at, to be frustrated about. There's time to waste. There's things to do and things to forget to do. There's all the options of life now are in front of us. And that's the moment when following Jesus has to count for something. So what we want to do is take our faith and apply it at home and experience God's blessings at home. So in, in the Christmas season, we, we think about the word holy quite a bit. And in principle, we, you know, in, in Christianity, we think about that quite a bit at any time of year. But I was thinking about that word, and I wonder if you have thought through what it means. Okay, so we talk about the uh, holy infant, mother and child. What does it mean that there's a holy infant in the manger? You know, back in the day, um, the, the day that none of us have seen, like the day 700 years ago, um, they would, when they would paint pictures of holy people, they would put bright circles behind the faces of the holy people in the picture to show that something was special about them. So if you see an old you know, medieval era painting of Mary and Joseph and Jesus, a lot of times Jesus, most of the time, all three of them would have these sort of halos glowing around them, sometimes even with like rays of light shooting out in different directions, just so that you could see, hey, this person is special. You're looking at this painting, that's the thing you're supposed to notice, the person who's holy, right? They're set apart from what's normal. Think about the song that we often sing, Oh, Holy Night. Okay, well, is, is the night holy, Christmas Eve? Is it set apart for something special? Say, well, yeah, I suppose so. Say, was the original Christmas Eve a holy night? In the sense that God came that day, yes, but it wasn't like it was a night that, it wasn't on anyone's calendar up until that time, at least not any earthly calendar. You think about the, uh, the holy family, we're used to saying that, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus, but you throw a little curveball in there and say, your holy family? See, that's where I would 
depart from that. Hold on a second. I mean, I'm in a family that is aiming at holiness most of the time, trying. Uh, But I don't know if my family is holy, right, in the sense that we would use that term. If they were painting a picture of me, I'm not actually sure that I would be worthy of the halo of holiness around my face. Would you? Now, here's, we can take this further. There's lots of things we say are holy, right? You could take out the Bible from the seat back in front of you and what would you see on the cover? What kind of Bible is this? Oh, it's a holy Bible. Um, That means something special about this book that it's different than other books, different than other religious books. There might be other things in the world people call Bibles, but we'd say, well, this to us is a holy Bible. It's, it's set apart from, from the norm because it's special somehow. So is your family holy? And we could talk about the Holy Church. Right? We would hope this would be the case, that the church is holy. But in our, in our talks about this here recently, we've learned there's two New Testament words for holiness, right? There's, or for church. There's the ecclesia, that's when we all gather, that's what we're doing now. And then there's the oikos, which is the household of faith, which is your household and my household. And even when we get together and we act like family, that's, that's church as well. Is that holy? See, holiness is practiced all throughout our lives. It's not about sacred objects or spaces. It's actually about you and I being set apart for something special. That's why the Bible says, be holy, God says, be holy as I am holy. Say, man, that's a tall order. Be holy as God is holy. God is set apart from creation. God is pure and bright and different than everything around him. And he says, I want you to be just like that. And he's not saying, I want you to aim at it, just try for it even though you'll never hit it. He's saying, be holy. How in the world would we do that? So the, the definition of holy looks like this. Set apart, not common. It's pure, it's special, it's valued, it's very noticeable. I think something would be holy, if you imagine looking up at the night sky, you see the stars up there. The stars would be a great illustration of what is holy against all the darkness of nothing out there. The stars shine out, they make a statement, it's bright, it's, there's something there that's different than what's common and unnoticeable and unimportant. The holy things are set apart. You might have holy things in your home that don't have any spiritual connotation, but they are holy to you. Things you've set apart. So I was trying to think about what I have in my house that's this way. Because I have three three three-year-olds, whatever was set apart and special is probably long since broken and (laughs) at goodwill. Um, But... You might have some items where you would say, you know, that family artifact, that heirloom, that picture, that painting, something to you, you'd say, we set that apart, we treat that as special, and then when you think, man, if my house was burning down, would I run in and save something? And you think, maybe I would go grab that, because everything else is common, everything else I could replace, but I couldn't replace that, it's special. That's how God thinks of you and me and how God wants us to think of ourselves. Holy, set apart for something special. Not replaceable, not common, not average, not boring and predictable, but instead, 
set apart. So you could look at the definition of unholy kind of being the opposite of holiness. Unholiness is boring because everybody's doing it. It's kind of like the kid at school who really wants to make a statement. They want to stand out. So what do they do? Get exactly the same haircut and the same shoes as every other kid in the school. You go, ah, I don't think you're catching the idea. Like if you want to stand out, do something different than what the world around you is doing. So boring and predictable, the same as everyone else, and then impure, devalued, not respected. So someone who's not holy, or something that's not holy, it's just people aren't really attaching a high value to it. They're not worried about rescuing it from a burning building. They're not worried about that, that this thing would be preserved somehow because it's just common. You can pick up more of them at Walmart if you want to. It's not a big deal. When something is holy... It means something, and we attach a different kind of value to it. So you could take this concept and say, well, we're supposed to treat God as holy, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Of course, right? We want to treat God that way. But God says, be holy as I am holy, which means we should be treating our own lives as that special. The things we think about, the things that we look at, the things that we listen to, the things we say, the way we behave, the motives that are inside of us, the, the way that we dream about the future, that is supposed to be separate and set apart for God's purpose. That is supposed to be holy. Every part of our lives can be set apart for the purposes and purity of God. So you could ask it so simply, like, are you living a holy life? I think growing up, I used to think of a holy life would meant sort of like just moral perfection, which is a part of the story here. But I would think, oh, you know, that holiness has to do with, you know, not doing a bad thing. Okay, well, that's an awfully weak definition of what God, God isn't just up there not doing a bad thing. God is radiating glory, right? God is, God is obviously set apart and different than everything else, and he's joining, he's inviting you to join him in that glory. Not doing a bad thing is just, that's the 101. Like, that's just, you're just getting on the on-ramp toward holiness. But holiness is a whole new way of life, a whole new way of looking at things. And you can say, is your household holy? And see, to me, this is where it makes it difficult, right? Because I could almost get away with the thought project of, like, imagining myself being more holy, but then when you say, and your household, I'm like, uh-oh, because <laughs> that, that, then now we're talking about the interactions of the household and the things we prioritize and the way that we act toward each other. I want that to be holy, but how do we get there? You could even go through really any, any, type, any aspect of who you are as a human being, anything you do, anything that defines you. As a Christian, your aim would be to say, I want those things to be dedicated to God and thus holy. All of these things are important. So, so your words, like you could say the same words that everybody else says, and your words could be devalued and not really respected and not really have any eternal purpose. Or you could say, no, I want to dedicate the words of my mouth to God to be set apart for his special purpose. Suddenly the things you're saying sound a lot different, accomplish something a lot different. You go through any aspect of what it means to be a human being and say, Lord, could that be holy in my life? And what would that look like for that to be holy? See, holiness is not a predefined category. 
And sometimes I think that's how in our mind we think of it. We'll think, well, God is holy and the Bible is holy. And then depending on, you know, if you go to Europe and you look at some cathedral and say, well, okay, maybe that's holy. Like we, we have this thought that holiness is, is, this, is like a, a label that you stick on something when it was, holiness is a way that you live. So you and I have the opportunity to become holy if we're willing to see the importance of our lives, the value of our lives, and to start treating ourselves as set apart for God's purposes. So turn in the Bible to 1 Peter. Uh, we've looked at this really recently because we just did a series through 1 Peter in the fall. But we'll look at it from just a slightly different angle today to see what holiness could mean for you. And today, I'm, I'm going to leave a lot on the table, right? We're just going to read some of this, and man, there's so many things we could talk through and discuss, but I just want you to see the picture of how God invites you to be a part of something special and something that will last forever. Starting in verse 13. So prepare your minds for action and exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything that you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. Which is interesting, right? Some people think, oh, I'm like, you know, whatever, you have a holy job or you're, a, you're born in a holy place or you're part of a Christian family and so maybe you get special extra. No, you don't. God has no favorites. This is, this is an open invitation to anyone who would like to be set apart for something special. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time here as temporary residents. That's on earth. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty way of life you inherited from your ancestors. It was not paid with a mere gold or silver which lose their value. It was paid with the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. God chose him as your ransom long before the world began, and now in these last days he's been revealed for your sake. Through Christ you have come to trust in God. And you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. For you have been born again, not of a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. So God's inviting you into something special, something eternal, something pure, something wonderful. Do you want to be a part of it? Would you like to be holy as God is holy? Or do you look over at what, I guess, the world out there is offering, the mundane simplicity, the animalistic tendencies of lust and pride and greed? Do you want your life to just be that? Or do you think you were made for something a lot bigger than that? God is willing to give you an amazing gift. You can be a part of something so much grander than any earthly pursuit. But it starts in your heart 
when you say yes to God's call to be holy, to be set apart. So you might wake up tomorrow as someone who's set apart for holiness. Some of the things you'll do might be the same. You'll still take a shower. You'll still go to work. You'll still you know, eat your breakfast. But now the motive of your heart and the direction of what you're doing is different. Because now you realize I'm not living for myself. I'm actually living for a higher purpose. So let's walk it through, uh, just practically, and we'll give you a few ideas here. How could we live holy? How, how would we do this? The first thing that we would do is value the daily purity of our hearts. You know, holiness has to start inside of us, not outside. So you, you become more holy not by showing up at church, not by getting baptized or doing some external ritual. You become holy based on what's happening in your heart with God. Right? That's why the Pharisees were confronted by Jesus for their unholiness, which was a big shock. Because who were the Pharisees in the culture of their day? They were the holy men, right? The people everybody would walk by, oh man, the Pharisees, they've got it together. They're the ones who are so pure and right. And Jesus looked at them and he said, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you leave it full of greed and wickedness. That is, the outside looks good, and the outside, they even had all sorts of trappings of holiness. They'd wear flowing robes, and they'd have special jewels, and they'd do their hair a certain way, just so everybody would know, man, that person is set apart in a big way. But it was just on the outside, it didn't mean anything, because their heart wasn't right. So you set apart your heart, not your clothing style, if you want to really honor God. So we the daily purity of my heart. So Lord, how can I become more pure in my heart? pure in my motives, pure in the things I think about, pure in the thoughts I have toward other people, pure when it comes to immorality, uh, pure in the, in the sense of like the things that I'm thinking about are they things that Jesus would want me to think about. So we're concerned with that because we say my heart is set apart now for a purpose. I don't want it to get caught and dragged down and distracted by mundane things anymore. The second thing that we would value is the special purpose of our lives. So we would say, okay, God has called me into something big and amazing. So, so every day that I live, I need to take that day seriously. I want my days to add up to things that have purpose because God set me apart for something more. The psalmist in Psalm 8, he, he looks up at the sky and he's kind of contemplating all the wonders of the universe. And he, he says, what is mankind that you, like, who am I? I'm just a tiny thing here in the, in the sense of the whole universe, and yet you value me, you give me purpose. So that's the way that we would look at our lives. We would be looking up with gratefulness going, God, you have called me for something. I don't know why. I don't know why, why am I supposed to be so special, but you've made me that way, so I want to live that calling. The third thing is we would value the body that God has given us. So in the context of talking about sex and immorality, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, he walks through why would it matter to stay pure in that area of your life? Like who cares? The world doesn't care. A lot of people who even claim to be Christians don't seem to care. So why should you care? Well, because you're set apart for something special that's different than the mundane, aimless drive of the world. So in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, hey, don't you know that you were bought with a price? Your body is a temple of God's Holy Spirit. He says, when, you, when you, you're sinning against your own body when you walk into immorality, 
says, don't do that. Instead, you set yourself aside and say, in the same way that back in the Old Testament era, they would look at the temple they were worshiping in and say, that's a holy place. We're supposed to look at ourselves and say, that's a holy place. Say, Lord, would you help me in the way that I act, the things that I do with my physical body, that that would be holy and set apart for your purpose, not just for my own desires or lust or greed. The fourth area is to value the opportunities that God offers you. Because when you start seeing your life this way, you're like, okay, wow, if God's calling me out of the world into his light and purpose, that means everything matters in a new way. So, Lord, if you put something in my hands, a talent, if you, if you put treasure in my hand, if you put time in my hands, I want to use that for you. I want my, every opportunity I want to maximize can also value the holiness of the people around you. So you start recognizing like God has set us apart. So this is where you come back to your household and you say, it's not just about you having the halo around your head. This is supposed to be for everyone that you walk through life with. So you start to say, Lord, how can I be contributing to the holiness of the people around me instead of pulling them down? Then we think about this. What would it look like for our households, for yours or mine, to become more holy. So this is an interesting thought project to do sometime, just to say, you know, what would it really look like if we became more holy? When I was in about seventh grade, um, this kid who was in my junior high Sunday school class with me, he, uh, I, think, I think the context was we were talking about some movie or something, and I hadn't seen it, and all of them had. And, and he, he looked at me, and he said, ah, you guys are probably the holiest family in this church, which, which I wasn't exactly sure. Was that, was that like a compliment or an insult? Or I, where are you going with this? I don't know that it was necessarily even true, but it was a really interesting comment, right? Because, okay, what did that kid mean? What was he, what was he looking at my family, which, you know, wasn't my fault one way or the other. My mom and dad were leading the family. Why would he say that? And I think it had to do with, he was thinking like we had some standards of purity for what we would do and watch that nobody else seemed to have. And he was going, well, you guys are holy. Which is just a really interesting thought, right? I, like, kind of thing, why well, I, I hope that's true. I hope I am. Um, so, as you think about your life, you might wonder, like, will, will you ever get accused of being the holiest person in the room? You know, I, I don't know. Um, and... Uh, and whether you are or aren't, what, I, what I'm really interested in is God's opinion of that. Because God sees the Pharisees would have been accused of being holy too, um, but theirs wasn't real. So in our hearts, are we holy? And what would it look like for our household, our family dynamics, our way of interaction? How, how could we bring that closer to God instead of further away? So I want to land it with this, okay? And this is a really important verse. So if you have a Bible with you, please look it up with me. Um, 2 Corinthians 6, because this will give you the reason why all of this matters. Why would you bother with holiness, especially when it's extremely unpopular? It always has been in every era of history. Until Jesus comes again, it always will be. It'll be the outlying people who have courage that will try for holiness. Everybody else will just get the same haircut, same shoes, do the same thing. But you have an opportunity for your life to matter. Your life can be special if you're willing to link in with Jesus and walk with him instead of this world. Okay, so let's see why that matters. 
So we'll pick up the story here. Paul's writing to a church that, just like ours, would have pros and cons. There's challenges. There's some people who are kind of walking the wrong direction. So some of these letters we read in the New Testament are corrective, right? He's saying, hey, don't do that. Go a different way. And in this church, people were starting to compromise, making partnerships with people that didn't follow Jesus and that were heading a different direction. Um, in our context, we might even look at, the, you know, this, this would be the, the person who just, they're not, really, they're not really worried about holiness one way or the other. They're just kind of floating through their life. So he says this, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians 6. Don't team up with those who are unbelievers. How can righteousness be a partner with wickedness? How can light live with darkness? What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? What union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. So you can look at this, this part of the text. You say that applies in a lot of different ways. Um, a common application, which I think is very legitimate, this is why if you're a Christian, you would not date a non-believer or marry a non-believer. Because your, your lives are literally going different directions. It wouldn't make any sense if you say my whole life is dedicated to God and someone else is saying my life is not dedicated to God. You can't go the same direction with that person. It's fundamentally opposite. And so you say, wow, for my close friendships and especially for a marriage relationship, I want to make sure I'm heading this direction with someone who will go the same way that I've been called to go. But even there, it doesn't really answer the question, why is it so important, right? That's the next verse. So look to verse, lost my place there, hold on a second. End of verse 16, it says, as God said, I will live with them, he didn't just say with, what does he say? In the holy God who is like the bright and shining, overwhelmingly glorious, holy, set-apart God. He's going to live in us and walk among them. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty." So God says, I want to invite you into something special, so come with me. Like, recognize, I want to be with you. Why would you settle for anything less than that? Why would you say, oh, no, I'll, I'll wait on that and do that later in my life, when this is what you're for, this is your whole purpose, to be with God? He's extending his arm to you. He's saying, just come out. Now, he's, he's not saying don't be friendly to outsiders. He's not saying don't go engage with the world, obviously, we do that, but he's saying in, in your mentality, in your heart, you're not trying to please the world around you, and you're not, you're not trying to link arms with them and make them happy and God happy at the same time. It, it won't work that way. There is no way to do that. So instead you say, my life is dedicated to God. My life is, aim, I'm aiming at holiness, I'm dedicated to holiness, and I want to walk God's way. As a result of that, I get to be close to him. For all of eternity, I get to walk with God. He lives in me. He's a part of my life and my future. And then verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Because we have these promises, dear friends, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body or spirit. And let us work toward complete holiness because we fear God. So you just think in your heart, and maybe you could even close your eyes right now and just imagine, is there anything in your life right now that is defiling your body or your spirit? Things that, are, that you know would take you off track from what God is inviting you into. Things that would keep you farther away from God than you have to be. Say, Lord, I want to cleanse myself of those things that would defile me and ruin me somehow. And instead, I want to work hard at holiness. To recognize every day, every moment, I'm set apart for something special. So here's the good news. The good news is, holiness is not related to your past. So you look backwards in time and you go, I haven't been holy, so what happens there? Well, that's why Jesus came, right? He came to give you forgiveness, to give you grace, to give you second and third chances. So holiness is not about what you've done, it's about what you're dedicated to be right now. And right now, are you dedicated to be holy? Are you dedicated for the purposes and purity of God? Awesome. Good job, Charles. And if you are, uh, then you are on a track that is going to lead you to some amazing places. If you aren't, you're settling. You're settling for a cheap imitation of what life is about that will leave you empty and sad in the end. So why settle when God is offering all this to you as a gift that you can take from him today? Why don't we pray? and ask for his help to make the right decision in each of our own hearts. So Lord, um, you know each of our hearts, the extent to which we are set apart and dedicated to your purpose. I pray that just for each person here, including me, Lord, that we would not settle for the imitation purpose that this world would give us, that we would not reject the purpose of our lives and try to forge our own, but instead that we would be holy as you are holy and that we would join you in that bright glory and purpose that we were made to be a part of. Lord, thank you for making the way possible. While our glory was compromised, when we sinned, we fell from all of that, and we ended up with all of this in this world. And yet you still love us, you still offer us a way forward, and you want to restore our relationship to you. You want to restore us to a place of holiness so that we can be with you and that you can be in us forever. That's an amazing thought. So today I pray that anyone in the room who has not received that gift that you would offer to them, would have an open heart to receiving it today. And for those of us who have been walking with you, I pray that you would remind us every day that we're called to something greater and that we're made for something special. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I have one final question for you to think about as you go. Christmas, of course, is coming. We call it a holiday. Why is it a holy day?
All right, we'll see you on Christmas Eve, 4.30 or 6 o'clock. Until then, Merry Christmas.